I like it here. You're all crazy. And I like it. Why not? I tell you what, man. We've got to get excited about what Jesus has done in our life. Excuse me. I still think I'm 25. <laughs> How many lovers of Jesus do we have in the house right here? Hey, and this morning I just fell in love with your church. I believe that, uh, Zelvin, I believe that you're on the verge of some incredible explosive growth. I, I can see people, I mean, this is like, this is just like a, a greenhouse where God is protecting you from the elements. Where you're like little, little seedlings. Look at you. Little plants all over the place. But God is raising up this house to smash the spirit of religion in this region. And start to declare the risen Jesus. That serving Jesus is full of life. And full of wonder. Can I have a big amen right here? Yeah. Uh, and I know this morning, um, you know, and all day, the Holy Spirit has been impressing upon my heart to talk to you, uh, to inspire. You know, normally I'm a very deep theological teacher. I am so deep I will lose everybody. I'm so intelligent you would not believe. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, but you know, you know, uh, like by nature, I'm an evangelist and teacher. But, uh, but, but the Lord said to me, right today, uh, best inspire the people to believe for far above all that they can ask or even think. You know, for too long, religion has kept us in a box. Religion has kept us in a straitjacket where we are walking around like dialing tones. That's attractive, isn't it? Oh, that's going to bring people to Jesus. Oh, come to Jesus and be like me. Now, religion robs us of so much, robs us of our individuality, robs us of our personality, but more than that, robs us of the wonder of the grace of God. But God is restoring the wonder of grace back to the church. Come on, folks. Somebody say amen right here. Just believe like a child. Thank you, mate. Just believe like unless you become like a little child. The older I'm getting, I'm 70 years of age going on 35. Seriously. I, I'm, I am more on fire now for Jesus than I was when I got saved at 19 years of age. And those of you that are over, whatever, whatever, those of you that are, that, that, those of you that think, oh, I'll settle down now. I'll sit in the garden and watch the sunrise. <laughs> There's more life in you yet. God is not finished with you just because you're 75. Come on, somebody. Say amen. God's moving on all ages. And uh, you know what? Someone said to me once, Ray, when are you going to retire? What a stupid question. 
Imagine asking the Apostle Paul, hey, when are you going to retire? When my head falls off, that's when I'm going to retire. <laughs> no, man. Listen, you know, I'm, I'm, since God has um, revisited my spirit in a way and, and, and opened up this, this amazing fresh revelation of the grace of God, I'm beginning to see, I'm beginning to enjoy my Christian life more now than I ever have in my life. And, and, and I'm seeing, you know, when I was, watch this. So, so I, was in a, I was in a rock band in the 60s, okay? I was a sex symbol in the 60s. <laughs> Women used to scream my name. Why are you laughing? Uh, they still scream my name, but, but for the different reasons now. <laughs> so anyway, just imagine that I was a sex symbol in the 60s. I, but I was, I was in a band, uh, um, uh, uh, the world famous rock band, Robbie and Ray and the Jaguars. Exactly. So, so we were in this band. So we were in, because normally I don't sing in churches. Because when I sing, you know, so the women get quite excited. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And they, they actually want to come and touch my body and think, I don't like it. I said, I had enough of that in the 60s. Leave me alone. So um, some of you are thinking, God, is this preacher saved or what? <laughs> no, I've just found myself. Thank God religion took it from me for a while, but I, I found myself again. Hey, come on, man. You can be yourself in Jesus. Who cares what people think about you? Listen, God said to me, Ray, don't worry about what people think or say about you. Rejoice with what heaven knows about you. And we think you're brilliant. So that's good enough for me. <laughs> Amen. So I'm in this rock band, right? So we were one of the first rock bands ever to be invited to Romania and Bulgaria in 1969, some of you were not even in the fallopian tube then. So 69, and at that time, Romania and Bulgaria were communist countries. They were dictators. Uh, it, what we did this was a very strict regime. Uh, but for some, we were the first rock band to be, so we did this tour, and we got to Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria. And we were doing a sound check, and our drummer bust his drum skin. And we didn't have a replacement. So, uh, you know, in Romania, in those days, you, you, in Bulgaria, you couldn't even get a replacement light bulb. Never mind a drum skin. So we didn't know what to do. So this 14-year-old young boy came up to us, Bulgarian, and said, hey, you know, I love Western music, and I've been following you around for days, and I, I'm a musician, and give me the frame of the drum and I'll get some pigskin and I'll stretch it over the drum so that at least you can play. So we gave him the drum. We did the gig. That was in 69. Now I'm going to forward to 1993. That's a lot longer time. <laughs> and I'm a pastor now. So I'm about to introduce Casey Treat. Did you enjoy Casey Treat last week? Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. So I'm, I was about to introduce Casey to preach to our church. And he said to me, listen, I brought a, a rock violinist with me He's from Bulgaria. Can he play before I, I preach? So by way of pastor's waffle, I introduced this Bulgarian rock violinist with the story I just told you. I thought, wow, it's a nice introduction. So I said, okay, come. And the guy, 
He's standing there like this. I said, hoy, come, quick. He's like, I said, what's your problem? He said, I was the boy. That's what I said. <laughs> what? He said, I was the boy because every night my brother used to sing the Lord's Prayer. Right? Now, he used to get on his knees and sing. We weren't saved. The reason why we circumcised Philistine rock band, we weren't saved. But the reason why we sung the Lord's Prayer, he went on his knees because the girl screamed. That's it. Ah, ah. Our father belting it out. The good. Ah. No religious. He said, every night, I saw your brother kneel down. The only time we ever saw people kneel in our country was when they were being executed. He said, and I heard him sing, our father, which art in heaven. We were told as teenagers in our country that there's no God. But every night I heard, you, I heard him praying to God. And he said, that was the first step of me discovering that God was real. Jesus changed my life. And now I'm traveling the world telling people that Jesus is our Savior. Come on, somebody. You, you, talk, about, you talk about amazing stuff. And I'm thinking if God can use an uncircumcised Philistine rock band singing the word of God, don't you think he can use every single person in this room to do incredible things? And don't you think that the family member you're praying for, that you think is, wow, it's hopeless. No, don't give up hope. Let's believe somehow God will send somebody to reach them. Give Jesus some praise in this house right here. I talked this morning about the difference between religion and grace. And let me tell you this. Let me, you know, this is so powerful, so simple. I wrote this out this afternoon for tonight. You see, the reason why religion has robbed grace of its wonder is because religion says behave, but grace says believe. And one of the greatest problems I find in the lives of Christians all over the planet is this sense of insecurity. They know they're saved, but there's a nagging sense because of what religion has taught there's this nagging sense, yeah, oh yeah, you may be saved, but you know, don't, but tomorrow you never know. You may commit the sin that will cut you off from God and, and, and your name will be stricken out of the Lamb's book of life and you're on your way to hell. And there are so many Christians who live with spiritual insecurity because they think it's all about their behavior. They think the maintaining of this relationship with our Father is all about their behavior. And so they live stressed out. Every time they fail or sin as a Christian, they're thinking in the back of their head, the devil could say, oh, this could be it. You know, and I, and, I, and I was sitting in our church one night, on a Tuesday night in a, in a prayer meeting. And one of our young men was preaching on this scripture I'm about to read to you. And God showed me something quite amazing. It's in Hebrews chapter 6. And verse 19 and 20, I think it'll come up on the screen. This hope we have, uh, we're not hoping for it. 
We're not, you know, sort of looking for it. We have it. If you've received Jesus, he's not come on holiday. He's come to stay. Come on, someone say amen right here. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Everybody say anchor. Anchor. Both sure and steadfast and which enters the presence behind the veil. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And I, I, as this young man was preaching, God showed me something. Now, this verse, um, there, there were two phrases that stood out to me. One was anchor, and the other was forerunner. And what I didn't know was that both words have a nautical connotation. Of course, anchor we know. But, but the forerunner, now let me explain what happened. Um, sometimes um, the entrance to the harbor. So there was a guy on the ship and he was a forerunner. His job was to take the anchor into a small boat, row ashore, anchor the anchor onto solid ground, and then carefully and slowly winch the ship in. He was the forerunner. This verse tells us Jesus is our forerunner. He has anchored our salvation on the solid ground, in the presence, behind the veil, and day by day, he is winching us in slowly and surely until one day we will make it. Come on, somebody, say amen. Now, 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 now when, I, when I saw this verse, uh, God showed me something visually. So let me show you what I saw. Uh, let me introduce you to Jesus right here. Give a hand for Jesus, please. Yeah. Never knew Jesus was South African, but there you go. Now watch this. This is what I saw, okay? So, so Jesus is our forerunner. Uh, he's the one that carries the anchor into the presence behind the veil and anchors. Watch this. So Jesus comes into the world. He was born of a virgin. He lived 30 years unnoticed, three years he, he, uh, he ministered, and then he died and was resurrected, and he went back into heaven as a forerunner behind the veil. And he left in the world the gospel right there. And do you know what he said? I've done the work. I've done it. You, it's not about your behavior. It's about what you believe. And he said, anyone who believes this will be attached to another world. Now, I'm 19. I'm in a rock band, smoking dope, womanizing sex symbol. I hear this sometimes. And yeah, yeah, but it's not for me. So, and then I go to bed at night. The parties were over. Effects of the drugs had finished. All the hype of the gigs. And I'd be on my own in my bedroom. And that, that, that sense of emptiness, that sense of, I'm, I'm sure I'm born for more than this. Like some of you are thinking here tonight, you may have a fantastic social life. Your bank balance may be as long as my arm, but you go home at night and you're on your own and you lie down and you think, you ask these questions. Well, what is it all about? 
that's who I was. And I heard people preach about Jesus, but nah, not for me. And then one night, a film came to our village, a little village in Wales. Jonah came from Wales. <laughs> that was a crap joke, wasn't it? <laughs> well, you didn't pay to come in here. What do you expect? So anyway, so, so, so now this, so a village, right? Uh, uh, the film, uh, it was a big event. Because the film used to come once a month in our village film. Everybody in the village stood up in the village. And so, and the, and, the, and the title of the movie was The Greatest Story Ever Told. I thought it was a Western. I thought it was a Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, so I went, paid my ticket, sat down. It was a classic old movie about the life of Jesus. I think I was conned now. I hear him, what do I want to watch this for? But I paid my money. So I thought I'd watch it. So I'm watching this. And do you know what? I am so glad the Holy Spirit goes to the cinema. He will go anywhere where Jesus is lifted up. Whether through song or through uh, theater or cinema. I'm in the cinema and I'm watching this man act out the life of Jesus. And I... And obviously the Holy Spirit was, so th this was becoming a little bit clearer here. And, uh, and, and I, I was amazed at this guy. I thought, look at this guy, walking on the water, come on. Why hasn't anybody told me about this? And then he, and he, and he uh, politically correct, forget it. I mean, there was a blind guy, hey, do you want to get healed? Yeah, <laughs> spat in his face. I thought, that's cool. Hey, this is brilliant. And, and then, you know, he was upsetting people, you know, the religious people. That was great. And he touched the lepers. And man, I was, uh, this is amazing. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit was beginning to make this real. And then at the end of the movie, they, they crucified him. And I get mad now. You've got to understand, as an unbeliever, when the Holy Ghost is making Jesus real. I'm mad. I'm thinking, what, why are you killing him now? I mean, he, all he's ever done is bless you and heal you. Now, and I'm mad. I say, come on, Jesus. Come on, do a Clint Eastwood on them. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. So they kill him. And then they put him in a, in a tomb. And then they roll a big stone. In, I say, come on. Big stone. And then guards outside, I said, come on, this is a bit much now. And I'm angry in the movie. I thought, well, what a sad end to a movie. But then on the third day, he, 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 he did a Clint Eastwood on him. <laughs> it's like, come on, come on. It's like, it's like, you know, you've seen the movies, right, where... They beat Clint up. They beat him up. I mean, no one can survive that. They beat dead. But 17 blokes are jumping on his head. And then they, they take Clint and they throw him outside. The, they, and you know, they leave him there for three days. And then at the end of the movie, all the baddies are in the saloon. Yeah, we sorted the guy out. They're laughing. And then all of a sudden, the whole thing changes as, <laughs> as, the, as, as the swing doors open and you hear this. 
And there he is. There he is, his pancho cigar hanging out, and he kills them all. Come on, Clint. And I'm saying, Jesus, come on, do a Clint. Do a Clint on them. And he rose from the dead. I thought, this is it. And then, and then obviously, you know, he didn't do a Clint on them. He says, hey, he says, because I live, anyone who believes in this will live also. All you have to do is, and listen to me, right there in the cinema, what happened? I believed. I didn't behave. You can't behave your way into this. Listen, and you can't behave your way out. Now, I believed. I'm in the world, but someone has anchored me to another one. My forerunner who has anchored this to a rock that is solid and sure and secure. So now I'm serving Jesus. I'm a young Christian. And, 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 then, I, and, and then I'm sitting under religious teaching that tells me, well, yeah, he saved you, but you better be careful because if you don't behave yourself, you can get, he'll unsave you. Anyway, <laughs> I, I believed it because I was a young Christian. Then I sinned as a Christian, fell. And I'm beating myself up, said, Jesus, I'm sorry. You've done all this for me, and I messed up. I've embarrassed your name. I've hurt people. I, at least I tried. Thanks for putting up with me for so long. And I decide to walk away. I decide to behave my way out of this. And I realize there is somebody behind the veil in the presence of God on my behalf who will not let me go. So now I'm beginning to realize so it's not about my faithfulness then. It's about his. So the security of my salvation is not about my sacrifice, it's about his. So do you know what happens in my heart? I start serving Jesus out of gratitude instead of guilt. And there's a massive difference. And for years I served Jesus out of guilt, trying to prove myself to him, trying to make myself honorable to him with, with my behavior and my fasting and my spiritual discipline and this and the this. And then when I had this revelation, I sin again. Start living now out of gratitude. This is great, but watch. I sin again. This time as a mature Christian. And the devil gets on my head. This is the one. You should have known better. Come on, this is the one, surely. And you begin to believe the lie. And you get up. And, 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 and you, I go to walk away again. Okay. It's more effort to walk away than to stay. And I'm <laughs> That's when I realize nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Somebody better get excited right here, right now. 
No, that's not a clap. Come on, somebody. Hey! Yeah, I'll fail. Tomorrow I may sin next week, not on purpose, but I will because of my human nature. But I'm telling you, my salvation does not depend upon my sacrifice. It's upon the sacrifice that I trust. Come on, somebody. Say amen right here. Well, can you take some more of this? I'll start three of you. Okay, that's good. We'll, we'll have a go. I'm just, listen, I'm very selective about what I'm saying tonight. I mean, this afternoon in the hotel, I said, Lord, what do you want to say? See, it's easy for me. Look, I've been a pastor for 25 years. I'm not an itinerant minister that's here to show off and, and say, look how good a preacher I am, okay? I'm, God has sent this little hobbit from the Shire to inspire you to, to believe and, and enjoy the wonder of the grace of God. And, and, and so on the second thing, well, God told me to share with you um, seven, 75 things. So number two, <laughs> but I, I, I'm just going to keep it at two, I think. So, so religion says behave, grace says believe. When you believe, you'll start to behave. Come on, somebody, say amen. When you, when you start believing that you are loved unconditionally. You see, you, you know, we, I've, I, I've sat in meetings when, you know, <laughs> when the preacher gets up, and I've done it myself, and starts preaching on 1 Corinthians 13. This is how you are to love he starts, love is patient. I want to go home right there. <laughs> go through the whole thing. Listen, do you know the enemy can use scripture and twist it just to screw Christians up? And he did it with me for years, especially the First Corinthians love chapter. Listen, First Corinthians 13 is not a description on, on how we are to love God. It's a description of how God loves us. Aren't you glad his love is patient? Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad that his love is kind? And you know, there's one quality of God's love that we need to get. Watch this. His love keeps no record of wrongs. Come on, get that in your spirit. So religion says behave. Grace says believe. Uh, and this is the second one the Lord told me to uh, tell you tonight. Religion will count you out. You're done. You're divorced. You're done. You committed that sin. You're done. Religion will count you out, but grace will keep on counting. Imagine this. It's a boxing match in the ring. There's a Christian. She's working out her destiny, and she's fighting the devil. She's smacking him all over the ring. 10,000 Christians in the audience screaming, come on, Christian, give him one for me. She's doing great. She's smashing him. And then she gets distracted, and the devil catches her one right under the chin and puts her on the canvas. She's knocked out. The crowd go quiet. The referee starts the count. One, two, three, four, five. She's motionless. The crowd are on their feet. Christian, get up. You can't 
lose now. You were doing so good. The devil is strutting around the ring, jeering at the crowd. The referee keeps on counting. Six, seven, eight, nine. The devil gets on the rope and he, begin, he, he gets ready to, to, to punch the air in victory. The referee counts ten. No movement. The crowd is speechless. And the devil screams at the crowd. Easy. Next. Then a shudder of horror goes through his whole being as he hears the referee from the other side of the ring. Eleven. Twelve. <laughs> Come on, somebody. 13, 14, 15, 16. The devil screams at the referee who happens to be called Grace. And he says, that's not fair. <laughs> and Grace says to the devil, no, to you it's not fair. But I'm going to keep on counting until my servant gets up off her feet, dusts herself down and finish what I started in her life. Come on, somebody. Man, I know, I don't know, I don't know. Some of you, you know, uh, this afternoon in the hotel room, the Lord said to me, there'll be people here tonight and you've been knocked out by disappointment. Knocked out. Bam, you're on the canvas. And religion has counted you out. I'm here to tell you tonight, grace will keep on counting until you get up from that floor and finish what God has started. Here she comes. That's the sign. She's awesome. What's your name? Sorry? Jenny? Shelly? Would she say Shelly? Whatever. Are you a friend of Charlene? What's her name? What? What's that? Marlise. She's awesome, Marlise. Isn't she awesome? Charlene, you are awesome too. <laughs> right, start playing. Shut up. Right, listen. So, so, so where was I? Where was I? Oh, yes. So watch this. Do you know why some of you are disappointed? And this is a word from God now. Some of you were disappointed because God has not met your expectation. You're in a situation that's difficult and you've prayed, you've gone on your, on your knees and you've imagined how God's going to answer your prayer and he hasn't turned up as you imagined. Do you know why God has not met your expectation? Because he wants to exceed them. Come on, I want this to sink in. Now watch this. So, so here's Jesus, okay? He's chilling out in his mate's house, Laz. And he got two sisters, Mary and Martha. Mar Mary was the holy one. Mar Martha just didn't give a rip. She just wanted to fuss with everything. And so here they were, and Jesus loved it there. It was his second home. I, I think we seem to forget that he was human too. Hey? And he loved it. He used to go there between ministry trips in Bethany. They'd chill out watching SS1 or something. And uh, get some pizza in. He used to love it there. You know, switch the phones off. They'd be there chilling. 
And Jesus, and, and, and he loved the family. He loved Lazarus. They were like really tight. So they're sitting there, and then one day, you know, Jesus was always doing this. He's very unpredictable. They, they, they coped with his unpredictability. They didn't know what he was going to do. So he just, in the middle of like, uh, you know, Mnet, they were watching, I don't know, Rambo 3 or something. And in the middle of Martha, no, I've got to get out of here. i, I got to go. i got to go. Yeah, Jesus, we get it. We're doing a packed lunch, Martha. No, I'm fine. So off he goes with the 12 disciples, and they're off, and they go, gone. See ya. He leaves. Two days later, Lazarus gets a bit of a sniffle. Um, I think He could have. I, the Bible doesn't say what was the matter with him, but he, he went sick. And he was, he was sick. And so, and so Mary imagined how Jesus was going to heal Lazarus. She'd seen him do it many times. Now he'll just come. We'll, so he'll come, he'll lay hands on Laz, and he'll be fine. So Lazarus was really sick. So she just, you know, she's WhatsApped him. And uh, Jesus got the WhatsApp. He reads the WhatsApp. He shows the disciples, oh, Lazarus is sick. Mary wants us to go and, uh, and sort it out. And the disciples says, okay, let's go. Nah, nah. Nah, we'll just stay here. And he doesn't even reply to the WhatsApp. Do you know how frustrating that is? Mary sees two blue ticks. <laughs> He's read it. She's waiting. Mother. Nothing. Sends another three. Nothing. Blue ticks. Oh. So she's getting really miffed now. Sends him 16 emails, four pigeons. Nothing. And Lazarus gets worse. Lazarus gets worse. And after a few days... That's Welsh for he died. <laughs> he snaps it. He dies. Jesus, nowhere to be seen. You see, uh, that's disappointing. Especially when Jesus was close friends with them. So they bury him. They, they put him in a tomb. And it's four days. And his body's decomposing. And, and there's a Jewish understanding that on the fourth day, that's when the spirit actually left the body. So watch this. It was difficult. Now it's impossible. So who just salters in? So everybody's crying. Oh, Lazarus. They're playing videos of what he used to do in the garden. Oh, I remember Lazarus. They're all crying. And he's decomposing in there. Ready to go somewhere else. And who turns up? Jesus and the crew. Hey. So Jesus and the crew. They just follow him everywhere, right? So Jesus. So watch this. So he turns up. Imagine the grief. You could taste it. Imagine the disappointment. And Jesus turns. Hey, what's up? Mary. What's up? Martha. What's up? Jesus, with the detective of the Calm down, ladies, calm down. How can we calm down? We are women. You made us like this. Calm down. Where were you? Calm down. <laughs> If you can believe 
You see, Jesus didn't turn up when it was difficult. He turned up when it was impossible. You know why? He didn't meet their expectation because he was about to exceed them. And I declare to you in Jesus' name, those of you who feel like that, Jesus, you feel has let you down. He didn't turn up when you thought he would. Listen. <laughs> Listen. And your situation has gone from difficult to impossible. I'm telling you, that's when Jesus loves to show you he can do far above all that you can ask or even think. Somebody better say amen to us. And you're going to be playing a long time tonight. Now, I'm nearly through. Is this helping anybody here? So now, here's Jesus. <laughs> Roll the stone away. What? He's been in there. He's dead. He's stinking. He's deacon. Roll the stone away. Lazarus, get out here. Do you know why? He had to name him because if he had said, dead person, every dead person within the sound of his voice, it would be like a precursor of Michael Jackson's thriller. They'd be all, din, din, din. you know why? Because he is the resurrection and he is the life and the sound of his voice. And I believe your difficult, your impossible situation. Allow Jesus, just roll the stone away. What's the stone? Roll the stone of disappointment away. Roll the stone of your expectation, your small, limited thinking. Say, come on, Jesus. Speak life into this death. Come on, Jesus. Blow my mind. Show me a wonder. Come on. Uh, amaze me. And I don't know whether it's somebody in your family that's sick or not, or in a desperate situation, or you are. But let's believe tonight that Jesus is going to speak life into death. Can I hear a big amen right here? I'm going to finish. What's the time? Are we all right? Have I got a couple? What's the time? I can't see that. Okay, have we got two more minutes? One minute? Forget it. I, uh, I'm going to finish. I, I believe God's done the job. I'm going to finish this sermon next time I come. You better all be here. I'm telling you. Then I'll be disappointed. Do you know what I'm saying? But Father, I thank you for this word tonight. Has been a rhema word for people in this building. And only you, only you know. Only you know the impossible situations that people find themselves in. And I know that you're going to turn up for them. You're going to blow their mind. They're going to see miracles. And Lord, there are people in this room tonight like I was when I was 19. I didn't think the gospel was relevant to me. But they know there's an emptiness in their life that cannot be filled. Tonight, Lord, what you did for me in the cinema, will you do for the people here? If you are here and you say, Ray, you know what? I don't know what it is, but somehow I want to believe. Don't, don't, don't even work it out in your head, okay? 
Your spirit wants to believe. Your spirit wants to know that you are forgiven. If you want Jesus to come into your life tonight, if you want the best friend you'll ever have, all he's asking you to do is believe it. Believe you're forgiven. Believe he's alive. Believe he loves you. Believe he wants to come to live in your life. I'm going to pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I receive forgiveness. Come into my life. If you are here and you want to pray a prayer like that, I'm going to count to three. And then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, put it down again. I'm not going to call you to the front or anything, but I just want to see who you are so I can pray. Don't leave the building. If you know you should put your hand up, you need Jesus. One, two, three. Could you raise your hand up? Keep it up. Keep it up. Jesus, come on, there's some more. Come on, five seconds. Do it now. Respond to your spirit. Jesus, you see all these hands raised. Every one of them, you know every single thing about them. Every single thing. Right now, they are asking you to invade their life with joy and love and security. Father, I thank you for them. I hand them over into your safe hands. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you, everybody. God bless you.